here we go, everybody. It is another edition of Jamal About Sports coming to you Monday night, November 27th, 2017. Hope everybody out there had a lovely Thanksgiving. Big show to get to tonight. We've got the NFL. We've got lots of goings on in college football. Uh, Everything from uh, the playoff picture potentially coming into focus, although still a lot to be said about that with the Conference championship games coming up this weekend. Great weekend ahead of us for college football matchups. Lots of stuff going on in the college football coaching carousel, particularly in the SEC. And then we'll do a little NBA to finish it off. But we start with, as we often do here on Jamal About Sports, the NFL. And uh, we'll start a little bit with the Thanksgiving Day games. May as well go chronologically. We'll start with my Lions. And look, I was... Nervous about this game. Uh, It was a huge game for the Lions. Had a chance with a win. We talked about it last week. Get to 7-4. Would have swept the Vikings. Would have put them at 4-0 in the division. Would have put them in great shape to win the division with a seemingly, quote-unquote, easy schedule down the stretch. Uh, But they didn't win the game. And now they, for my mind, for my money, and in my mind, their playoff hopes are essentially done. Uh, I mean... At this point, they need to win out and also get help because they have head-to-head losses against Carolina and Atlanta, which we talked about. Uh, Carolina and Atlanta. Um, Carolina, eight wins. Atlanta has seven. Seattle has seven. Uh, the Rams have eight. You know, the Saints look like they're going to win their division. Uh, you never know. But uh, so everything that happened that needed to happen for the Lions yesterday to get some help they needed Seattle to lose. Seattle won. They needed Atlanta to lose. Atlanta won. They needed Carolina to lose. Carolina won. The only somewhat good thing that happened in the Lions yesterday is Green Bay lost. Because Green Bay, with a win last night, could have still sort of been hanging on by a thread. Last night's loss pretty much eliminates them from contention. Um, but that's neither here nor there. We'll get to the game. Uh, look, I've been saying this for a while. And I'm going to say it again. Um, the Lions, you know, the old adage, football games are won and lost in the trenches. Uh, that could not apply more to the Lions. They are not good on either line. Defensive line's lousy. Offensive line's lousy. And I, again, I don't know if it's the players on the offensive line. I wouldn't think that it is. But to watch the Lions hilariously try to run the ball with no success is enraging. I mean, it's as frustrating uh, proposition as a fan as you could possibly get. And it makes no sense. Look at the Lions personnel up front. You have a left tackle, and Taylor Decker was a first-round pick last year at Ohio State. Okay? Now, I get it. He's rusty. He's not his. He's not in, in mid-season form yet, right? He just, this is only his third game back. He didn't have a training camp. He didn't have a preseason. I get it. Left guard is Graham Glasgow, third-round pick from last year from Michigan. Pro-style offense, run the ball a lot. Center is Travis Swanson, third-round pick from Arkansas. Under coach, former now coach, Brett Bielema just got fired. But what is Brett Bielema in Arkansas known for? What does he do? He runs the ball. That's what they're known for. They run, 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 run. Right guard is T.J. Lang, former All-Pro from the Packers. And right tackle is Rick Wagner from the Ravens, who played at Wisconsin. Another team that runs, 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 runs. And yet the Lions are completely incapable of running the ball, I mean, with even modest success. 
makes no sense. It's not like the Lions have five undrafted free agents who all came from Washington State, a school that throws the ball 50 times a game. It makes no sense, which begs the question, again, is it the scheme? Is it the coaching? To which the answer most likely is yes. And on the defensive side, look, injuries have played a major part. Lack of planning in the offseason by the general manager has not helped. He had two guys coming off suspensions. One guy was somewhat effective in our Monty Bryant in a limited role last year as a pass rusher. The other guy, Kyrie Thornton, never did anything last year. And yet... Didn't do anything to upgrade out of those two positions. They just signed Dwight Freeney the other day before the Thanksgiving game. He played on Monday night. He wasn't ready. He's 37 years old. So their front four is just not very good. As evidenced by the fact that when the Lions improbably cut the score to 20 to 10 at half with a quick drive down the field, which by the way involved zero running plays, The Vikings started with the ball start the third quarter and literally ran the ball four times for 75 yards and a touchdown. The Lions couldn't run the ball from the three-yard line four times and get a touchdown, and yet the Vikings went 75 yards. And that was the other thing that drove me crazy, and I knew we were in trouble right from the beginning. Lions won the toss, and they smartly, all year, until Thursday, have deferred, which is what every good team and every smart team does. We talked about this Last week, we talk about it all the time. What did Jim Caldwell do? He took took the ball, which shows to me that he choked. That's a choke move. When you go away from what's worked for you up to this point because the moment got too big for you, because you realize it was a big game, and you go against the grain of what you've done up to this point, that's a choke move. It was absolutely ridiculous. And then, to compound matters, the Lions actually get a break. Because Kai Forbath, the Vikings kicker, is lousy. Bad kick. Lions get a good return. Penalty on the Vikings. They start at their own 40. So if you're going to want to be say that you're going to be aggressive, because that's why you want to take the ball, because you want to come down and score, then don't give me this garbage. First play, two yard out to the tight end. Second play, run into the middle line of scrimmage for two yards. Third down, three yard pass on third and six. Don't give me three of the most weak conservative play calls you could ever imagine as if you were trying to bleed the clock out and yet it's the first series of the game in the first drive it's ridiculous and that's the classic Caldwell contradiction he does stuff like this all the time then you had two drop passes in the end zone by the tight end backup tight end Darren Fells you had a play where the Lions had a walk-in touchdown. They actually had one for one once in a blue moon, had the perfect play call against the Vikings defense. All-out blitz on a screen. Stafford didn't make a good throw. And look, Stafford was off. And the Lions, because the rest of their team is not very good, have very little margin for error. Stafford has no running game. You know the best-ranked running game the Lions have had since Stafford has been here is 17th? 17th, that's the best. It's criminal what's going on right now. The Lions, unfortunately, are wasting Stafford's prime years by giving him no running game and a very spotty offensive line. So, you know, listen, it's a problem. It's a major, major problem. And again, 
Lions could go four and one down the stretch, win ten games, and not making the playoffs. And, you know, look, Caldwell after the game is defiant. Sky's not falling. The media's going to say the sky is falling. Um, you know, there's a lot of football to be played. That's fine. He has to say that. He's the head coach. You're not going to wave the white flag. I get it. But from a fan's perspective, uh, I just don't see it. And by the way, again, there's a scenario where the Lions could win out and win 11 games and still not make the playoffs. But they're not winning out. Look, everyone's, oh, you know, they play Baltimore next week. First of all, it's in Baltimore. Second of all, Baltimore is alive in the playoff hunt in the AFC. They're looking to get back to 500 tonight. They play on Monday night against Houston. Now, I know their offense is lousy, but their defense is pretty good. And again, the Lions have shown nothing. They've shown nothing. And look, I fell for it. I said, oh, you don't apologize for the win against the Bears. The Eagles absolutely dismantled the Bears yesterday. Now, granted, it was in Philadelphia. But if you're a good team, that's what you do is you you stomp out bad teams like the Bears. And the Lions were, of course, barely won by the skin of their teeth. Same thing against the Browns. And that was a home game. So I kind of tiptoed through the graveyard there or whistled past the graveyard, if you will, with those two wins. I should have known better. They're just not a very good team. They're a 7-9, 9-7 team because of the quarterback. And they've got, you know, look, Marvin Jones has had a great year. You know, Golden Tate, again, had a, had a play that absolutely killed the Lions. Late, you know, early in the fourth quarter, backed up at their own 10-yard line. Catches a pass on third down, has the first down. All he has to do is fall forward. Instead, he tries to get more yards and runs backwards. He's a veteran receiver. He can't make that mistake. You know, Miles Killebrew had an interception go right through his hands. Tease Tabor had a shot at a sack on third down. Whiffed, kept the drive alive. Lions got the ball back, but a much worse field position. <coughs> so they're a 7 and 9, 9 and 7 team, talent wise, mostly because of the quarterback. So, in any event, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm declaring here on, and I know it's folly, and I hope I'm wrong, but here on November 27th, Lions playoff hopes are done, even at 6-5, and five, done. I watch enough games, other games, and watch these other teams. They're all better than the Lions, all of them. Atlanta's better. Carolina. Carolina's defense is better. Their offense is lousy. We'll get to that game yesterday. They had no business beating the Jets yesterday. The Jets, of course, in typical Jet fashion, handed that game to the Panthers with some help from the officials. Which brings us to game number two, Dallas versus San Diego. And, you know, look, if AG were here, I'm sure he would be, uh, you know, not, not. I know he's none too pleased. I mean, the Cowboys just look awful. And I understand, you know, look, they had Tyron Smith back, but they still have no Zach, uh, Zeke Elliott. We get it. Sorry, Dak Prescott. I mean, he was awful again. Awful. Line, uh, Cowboys defense is lousy. Again, no Sean Lee. It's one guy. I mean, I know he's a really good player, but your whole defense stinks. The secondary won't tackle anybody. Keenan Allen weaving, bobbing and weaving his way through six defensive backs taking a 15-yard slant and going about 55 yards for a touchdown. Horrible. Chargers 
way in the thick of things because the Chiefs have completely collapsed. So now the Chargers just a game back for the division lead in the AFC West at five and six. And by how about this, by the way, the poor Chargers, and you did it to yourselves by having a, an unproven kicker that you had to cut. I mean, the Chargers have lost two games because of special teams this year. They easily could be seven and uh, four right now instead of five, five and six. They should be seven and four and in first place in that division. <clears throat> I'm going to call it right now. The Chargers are going to win that division. Chiefs are a mess. The old Hayden curse. Was, 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 it, it seems like not that long ago when I was really talking up the Chiefs and they've gone completely in the tank. Alex Smith basically, Alex Smith was who we thought he was when I used to rip Alex Smith and then I did my mea culpa and said, oh, you know, this guy's a pretty good quarterback. He stinks. Okay, He's been terrible lately anyway. Uh, and then inexplicably, they've gone away from the run game. They're trying to, you see, when Alex Smith, when you let him just be who he is, which is pretty much a game manager, and I know everybody, oh, that's such a derisive term. You can look at it that way if you want. Sorry, Alex Smith is not Matthew Stafford. He's not Tom Brady. He's not Aaron Rodgers. Okay? He's none of those guys. I mean, Brady's in his own class, and then probably Rodgers. And you have, you know, Stafford is probably right up in there with Aaron Rodgers. But whatever. Alex Smith is not those guys. But Alex Smith has proven that with everything else around him, he's pretty good. He can win games. He won't lose you games. But see, what happened is the Chiefs fell in love with all their razzle-dazzle early in the year, and now they think he's something he's not. So in a game where they lose by six points yesterday to the Bills at home, Kareem Hunt gets 11 carries. That's ridiculous. And Alex Smith threw the ball 36 times. That, that number should, I mean, can't be reversed, but it's got to be 50-50. It's silly. Again, it's not like they were down three touchdowns and you had to throw the ball all the time. And by the way, the Bills inexplicably, or in spite of themselves, they're not really themselves, their idiotic head coach, Sean McDermott, Benched Tyrod Taylor two weeks ago for Nate Peterman, who threw five, yes, five interceptions in the first half of a game against the Char- in a game against the Chargers. Came back and won this week. Tyrod Taylor played well again. Again, I don't understand why. I'm not saying Tyrod Taylor is great, but again, everything else around him is good. I mean, the, he got benched after a game. They gave up what 300 yards on the ground to the Saints. I'm sorry, was he playing linebacker? Was he playing defensive tackle in that game? I understand Sean McDermott's trying to get his guys in there because he's a first-year coach. What's wrong with Tyrod Taylor? Guy goes out there and plays his butt off every, every time I see. And again, he's not perfect, but he's pretty good. You can do a lot worse. There are a lot worse quarterbacks in this league than Tyrod Taylor. And it wasn't fair to Nate Peterman either. He's a fifth-round pick rookie at a pit. He's not ready. But I give that, give that team a lot of credit. They came back and beat the Chiefs. Now, again, the Chiefs are reeling after 5-0. and They're now 6-5. and Sorry, I digress a little bit. We'll get, and then, so, I mean, look, Dallas, it looks like they're done. And it couldn't happen to a nicer team. And then Washington Giants, that was one of the most hideous displays of football I've ever seen. All you need to know in that game was the Giants, the only way they could score was going to be on defense, and they did. Kirk Cousins threw a pick six. Uh, the Redskins lined up to go for it on fourth and one. Called timeout, came out of the timeout, and got a delayed game penalty. <laughs> I mean, you can't get worse than that. You cannot get worse than that. 
If I were a Redskins fan, I would have been pulling my hair out, screaming at the top of my lungs. I would want I would want Jay Gruden fired in the worst way. And again, I know Kirk Cousins throws a real pretty deep ball. He does a lot of things to help lose you games. So yeah, they beat the Giants the other night. Whoopie woo. That was just wretched football. All right, we'll take a short break. We'll come back with some of the. back here on edition of a Monday night edition of Jamal about sports neglected to say that we started the show out with a little rolling with kid and play from kid and play and that of course coming back from break was who can it be now from men at work all right let's get to the Jets game and I mean this game was jet like in in every way possible so uh in my mind completely outplayed Carolina Cam Newton had a lousy game. They completely shut him down. Uh, Carolina didn't do really much of anything on the ground either. They scored two of their touchdowns on uh, a punt return and a fumble return. We'll get to those plays. Um, The Jets, here's all you need to know about the Jets in this game. On a fourth and one, when Carolina went for a fourth and one on an incomplete pass, the Jets were offsides. So they gave Carolina an automatic first down. Um, Josh McCown. Uh, on a play where he's getting sacked and all he has to do there is just eat the ball, uh, tries to flip it, uh, you know, tries to throw it at the feet of um, a running back, fumbles, gets scooped and scored by the Panthers. Jets get the ball back, next possession, punt, gets returned for a touchdown. Go three and out, punt, gets returned for a touchdown. And then, despite all of that, score late in the game to get it to within one score, 32-26, and then when they're about to get off the field on third down on any complete pass, roughing the passer, keep the drive alive, game over. Jet ball, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> that right there is jet ball. I used to be a Jets fan. I know of these things. Remember the playoff game, I think in 88, 87 against the Browns? Mark Gassineau on third down against Bernie Kosar, roughing the passer. I mean, it's always something. I mean, being uh, that's why I had to, to leave the Jets just for the Lions because um, you can't root for two teams like that. <laughs> You'll lose your mind. One is quite enough. Thank you. I mean, I was a big Jets fan back in the day. Richard Todd was my guy. Freeman McNeil, number 24. That was my number. Loved Freeman McNeil. Johnny Hector. Jerome Barkham. Derek Gaffney. Wesley Walker. Greg Buttle, Stan Blinka, Lance Mel, the Sack Exchange, Gasno, Abdul Salam, Marty Lines, Joe Klecko. Daryl Ray, Bobby Jackson, Jerry Holmes in the secondary. Love the Jets. Love me some Jets. Marvin Powell, Chris Ward. Oh yeah, I'll keep going. Jets went in in 1983 and beat the Raiders in. I think they were they still in Oakland or had they moved to LA yet? I think they were still, I think it was their last year in Oakland. Huge win. And then of course the AJ Dewey game in, in Miami after that. Where they lost 14-0, AJ Dewey with a pick six. Where the Dolphins the night before in a thunderstorm le- left the field uncovered on purpose. Anyway, I digress. Just a just a brutal loss for the Jets. 
And my man Chris Spielman did the game yesterday. By the way, he's the best analyst working today. I said this last week. I'll say it again. He was spot on yesterday. And there was a play where, listen, this Robbie Anderson is playing great for the Jets wide receiver. He had two more touchdowns yesterday. I think he's had a touchdown of five straight games. Over 100 yards, two big plays. But on the second one, after he scored, he went to the sidelines and the camera was on him. And, and he, he said, you could hear him audibly, say, you know, hey, how about you guys vote and put me in the Pro Bowl? I didn't think it was the worst thing in the world. But as Chris Spielman, uh, I thought then aptly pointed out, how about you worry about this game right here? How about you worry about maybe trying to get your team into the playoffs? And not worrying about the Pro Bowl, which, by the way, nobody cares about, guys. No one cares. Pro Bowl is the biggest waste of time on the planet. Now, I'm not blaming the loss on Robbie Anderson. Quite the contrary. He played well. He was not the reason why the Jets lost. And he's been a bit of a revelation this year. You've got to feel good about him moving forward. But then even at the end of the game, where the Jets get the ball back with, you know, look, it's a long shot. But they throw a slant to uh, Jermaine Curse, you know, heady veteran receiver, formerly of the Seahawks. And instead of lateraling the ball, he just goes down. Then they don't even try. I mean, again... Ladies and gentlemen, I give you jet ball. Just awful. Absolutely atrocious. So, instead of Carolina losing a game, they had every right to lose. Every right to lose. They win. Because the Jets did everything in their power to help them out. And I get it. Look, that's who Josh McCown is. Okay? I understand he's completing 69% of his passes this year, and his numbers look good from yesterday, 300 yards and three touchdowns, but makes the critical error, the critical time in the game to lose you the game. Did it against the Patriots? Did it yesterday? Did it in the game against uh, the Dolphins when he threw that interception at the end of of the game? That's just who he is. And I know he had one good game this year, but enough with the Matt Forte Jets. I mean, the guy's you know on the wrong side of thirty. You have Bilal Powell, you have Elijah McGuire. Would you get those guys the ball, please? Enough with the with the three yards and a cloud of dust with Matt Forte. Oh, and then of course the Jets did get screwed again. Same guy, Austin Safarian Jenkins, the guy got screwed on the touchdown against the Patriots, got screwed against yesterday. It got screwed again yesterday. Fade route, perfect throw by McCown to his credit. Safarian Jenkins goes up, catches it, knee down, corner of the end zone, hits the ground, the ball moves, but it never touches the ground. He regathers. They look at replay, they call it incomplete pass. Ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. Replay has got to go. It is now a monster. I understand the desire and the thought process behind wanting to get it right. You are ruining the fan experience with replay now. You have to go back to coaches challenging. This every score gets reviewed now is for the birds. It's nonsense. Because now what happens is nobody could ever get excited on anything that's close. You have to sit there on pins and needles on the edge of your seat waiting to see for 15 minutes what the replay says. And it's not even within the spirit of the rule. We're now breaking things down by second nanosecond by nanosecond frame to see did the tip of the ball maybe move a little bit, a millimeter, or did it just graze a a blade of grass? It's ridiculous. 
That play by Austin Safarian Jenkins yesterday, that catch, was a touchdown for 75 years. But now all of a sudden it's not. Scrap it. It's got to go back to the old way. You've created a monster with the replay. It's a joke. Three challenges to the coaches. Use them how you want. And if you win one, you get an, you get an extra one. That's it. Or you want to give them four to a half, fine. But this every scoring play gets reviewed nonsense, it's got to go. It's got to go. Especially because these rules are so ridiculous and esoteric. I mean, the NFL did this to themselves by changing what a catch was. As we all saw seven years ago with the idiotic Calvin Johnson game. I mean, explain to me how it's good for... And you wonder why the, 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 the ratings are down? It's not because of protests. I got news for you. It's because, of, first of all, the quality of play is poor. But secondly, it's because of this garbage. Because you can never just have a, 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 a spontaneous reaction as a fan now anymore on a touchdown. Unless it's so clear cut. But at any time there's a, a, a great play, a super athletic play, a diving play in the end zone, nope, can't celebrate, got to sit there and wait, hold on. Happened to the Lions on Thanksgiving. Darren Fells catches a touchdown. Juggled it, had it, got knocked out of his hands, still recovered it. Touchdown, ruling on, the, ruling on the field confirmed, and then all of a sudden, no, then it wasn't confirmed. First time I've ever seen that, by the way, also. Of course, happens to the Lions. So I was all mad at Caldwell because they took their time kicking the extra point. But then I found out later after the game, the ruling on the field was confirmed to the coaches. So why would you then try to hurry up and kick the point? You think it's a touchdown. It's been confirmed. But then they looked at it again. It's ridiculous. It's got to go. Has to change. Has to be completely revamped, or just again go back to the old way, because this is this is not fun for anybody. I mean, I get, yeah, I get it. If you're a Panthers fan, you're happy, but guess what? This will come back to bite you too at some point. I guarantee you. All right, that's it for the NFL. Let's move on to college football, where there is a lot to unpack here. So I think let's start with the action on the field where Auburn beat Alabama in the Iron Bowl. Now they're going to play Georgia in uh, the SEC championship game. Winner of that game is going to be one of the four teams uh, for the college football playoff for sure. Right? Georgia took care of its business, handling Georgia Tech easily. So it will be a rematch of that game earlier in the year when Georgia put a whooping on – I mean uh, Auburn put a whooping on Georgia. Now you go back to that game – that game was not I, – I know all the, the, the ESPN guys, Reese Davis and, and Kirk Herbstreet and all those guys, they're all like, listen, I, I don't see an, under any circumstances where you know Georgia was ever in that game. Guys, did you watch the game? Georgia missed on two wide-open receivers early in that game. They muffed the punt. They had a, a roughing the kicker penalty. I mean, they did a million things wrong in that game early. Now, yeah, it got out of hand after that. But they also had a 7-3 lead. Not that it's a huge lead, but they did have a 7-3 lead early in the game and then imploded. So this idea that Georgia is not on the same level as Auburn, silly. That's number one. Number two, 
the Georgia, uh, the Auburn, Alabama game. Um, we all know Saban's a great coach. He is. He's a great coach, right? I mean, his his track record is, is speaks for itself. Not a particularly likable figure, but he's a great coach. Um, anybody else coaches that is coaching that Alabama team that played this game last Saturday is getting killed for having his team unprepared because that was one of the more sloppy performances you'll ever see. Alabama had back-to-back plays where the center snapped the ball in the shotgun and the quarterback wasn't ready for it and lost about 25 yards uh, on back-to-back plays. Turnovers, penalties, they looked awful. Now look, Auburn's a good team, but I was not I didn't come away from watching that game saying to myself, wow, that Auburn, that's some juggernaut. They really took it to Alabama. I mean, they played well. At times a quarterback is gutsy. He makes gutty plays, throws a nice deep ball, more mobile than you think. And, you know, the running back is good, except he got hurt. I don't think he's playing in the Georgia game. By the way, you got to hand it to my man Gary Danielson. I always talk about him. Talk about a guy who does his homework and knows what's going on. So Auburn early in the game lines up in the Wildcat with the running back behind the center and the shotgun. And Gary says, you know, I was watching him do this all week of practice. They did a lot of this jump pass throw that uh, Florida used to run with Tim Tebow when Urban Meyer was the coach. But what do you, what do you, what, what do you think happens? Next play. <laughs> Snap. He runs, takes two steps forward like he's going to run. Jumps up in the air, throws an easy touchdown. Boom, nailed it. Love Gary Danielson. Best college analyst by far. It's not even close. Anyway, getting back to that game. So, look, Alabama played a bad game. They just did not play particularly well. I mean, Auburn made plays when it had to. But again, Alabama, the kicking game came back to bite it again. Right? Had a, had, had a bad hold on a perfectly good snap. Could have made the game, I think, 14-13. And then Auburn uh, took advantage and went down the field and scored. Um, you know, But Alabama was not sharp in that game at all. Again, I'm not trying to take anything away from Auburn, but I just I, I have no dog in the fight. I don't really care much for or, or you know I, I, I'm, I'm ambivalent to bo- towards both Alabama and Auburn. I just want to see good football. I didn't think they played all that well. They played fine. They played well enough to win, but again, I didn't come away overly impressed with Auburn. So I would not be surprised at all. Matter of fact, I'm going to call it right now. Georgia's going to win that game. Georgia will win the SEC championship game Saturday night. So that was a big game on the field. One of the most thrilling games on the field had nothing to do with national championship implications. But if you're watching South Florida, Central Florida... On Friday afternoon, uh, you're not going to see a more exciting finish in, in any game on any level. So I'll set the stage for you. It's a back and forth game, high scoring. You know, by, by the way, both teams are good. UCF undefeated, South Florida nine and one. They play in the same conference. The winner of that game uh, was going to the winner of that game was going to get the right to go play Memphis, who's another high scoring team uh, for the American Athletic Conference, whatever that is. Um, I think it's sort of the uh, the stepchild of the former Atlantic 10 or Conference USA or something like that. But in any event, it's Conference USA. But um, so winner of that game gets to go play Memphis. And, you know, it's a rivalry game too, right, in state. You know, it's not Florida-Florida State, but whatever. Two, you know, Scott Frost, right, coach for UCF, uh, former Nebraska player, former assistant offensive coordinator at Oregon, 
probably going to end up at the, with getting the job at Nebraska now that they just fired Mike Riley. And you got Charlie Strong coaching South Florida after their prior coach, Willie Taggart, went to Oregon and Charlie Strong got fired from Texas. So big name coaches, right? It's a good game. A lot of athletes on both sides of the field. Anyway, 35 34 South Florida. Uh, sorry, Central Florida with about four, five minutes left in the game. They get the ball back, go down the field, score a touchdown, beautiful screen pass um, to make it 42 34. But there's like two and a half minutes left. Plenty of time. Plenty of time. South Florida gets the ball back. They have two timeouts, two minutes and 20 seconds. That's a world of time in college football. Clock stops on first downs. I mean, it's a world, world of time in the NFL, too. Over two minutes with two timeouts, you got plenty of time. So, first of all, uh, so South Florida runs the ball on first down, gets called for a hold. So now they're back, and they, they were at like the 25. So now they're backed up to about the 15. Second play, 85-yard touchdown pass. Go for two, get it, tie the game. Kickoff, Central Florida returns a kickoff for a touchdown. To go up 49-42, right? Because it was 30, hold on, 35-42-34. Yeah, so it's 42-42, so now it's 49-42. But there's like a minute and a half left. And again, South Florida's got two timeouts. They get a good kick return. They return the ball out to their own 45. Own 45-yard line, need a touchdown and an extra point to tie it, send it to overtime. First down incomplete, second down incomplete, third down complete, first down, tight end fumbles at the end of the play. Central Florida recovers, game over. But it's about as good as the last five minutes of a game as you'll see. Um, other games from a national championship perspective, Miami, we'll see you. You're out, I think. They lost to Pitt. And look, Miami's been playing with fire all year long. Right, sort of uh, not particularly impressive wins against the likes of Virginia, North Carolina, and Georgia Tech, the middling to lower tier teams in the ACC. And it came back and bit them. They went on the road at Pitt. Pitt, it was their Super Bowl, basically. It was their bowl game. Pitt's five and seven. They finished the year five and seven, and Pitt thoroughly handled them. So, now look, Miami's still not dead. That was their first loss. They beat Clemson in the ACC championship game on Friday, I think it is, or Saturday, rather. They'll probably go to the Final Four. But I think Clemson's a much better team. I would suspect Clemson's going to win that game. Now, you had Ohio State handling Michigan. Ohio State is still alive. Wisconsin took care of its business. They beat a mediocre to bad Minnesota team. So they're undefeated. So now you've got Ohio State playing Minnesota for the Big Ten Championship. And all these people out there, I mean, sorry, Wisconsin, all these people crying, all these Wisconsin acolytes crying or, or, and or Big Ten people crying about how dare Wisconsin not get in. Well, look, you can get in, Wisconsin. you got to beat Ohio State. If you don't, you're done because your schedule stinks. It's not very good. You didn't play Penn State. You didn't play Ohio State in the regular season. Your out-of-conference schedule was a joke. And the Big Ten, as we all know, is extremely top-heavy. I don't think Wisconsin even played Northwestern this year. 
As a matter of fact, let's see who was contemplated. I think we talked about it last week. We got to go to it and check it out again. But it's very simple for Wisconsin. You beat Ohio State, you're in. You lose, you're out. And by the way, I have nothing against Wisconsin. I actually have a ton of respect for the Wisconsin program. Always have. Listen, Barry Alvarez, when he took over that program, what was it, 25 years ago? I mean, Wisconsin never had anything of a football program. He's turned them into a, you know, a national power. One of the better teams in the Big Ten. But Wisconsin is one-dimensional. They always are. They play really good defense and run the ball. And that's great. And they put a bunch of guys in the pros. Look, it's a really good program. And it's a good school. It's a, Madison, by the way, one of the more beautiful small cities in, in the country. I highly recommend going there. You know, in the spring, summer, or fall, not in the winter, perhaps, but uh, it's beautiful. It's a beautiful campus. It's a really good school. You know, for, by all indications, for the most part, they do things the right way. Kids actually go to class. It's a good academic school. I mean, there's a lot to recommend Wisconsin. I have nothing, I have a ton of respect for Wisconsin as a university and a football program. They're just not as good as, the other, as some of these other teams. They're just not. They're not as good as Georgia, they're not as good as Alabama. Not as good as Clemson. Now, I'm not going to say they get blown out by these teams. I'll give them a game. All right, hold on. Wisconsin's schedule. Let's go, as my man Warner Wolf said to the videotape, but we're not doing videotape. All right, Utah State, Florida Atlantic, BYU. None of these teams are any good. They all have bad records. Okay, they did beat Northwestern. My bad. Sorry. Northwestern had a pretty good year. Northwestern won nine games. All right, that's a good win. It's a quality win. Nebraska stinks four and eight, just fired their coach. Purdue, not any good, losing record. Maryland, we all know, is a joke, losing record. Illinois, losing record. Indiana, losing record. Iowa was a good win. Not a great win, a good win. I think Iowa won eight games this year. Michigan, decent win, not a great win. Michigan just lost again. They're eight and four. Right? They lost Ohio State on Saturday. Not, it's not a big-time Michigan team. They were ranked 24th when Wisconsin beat them. Michigan is not going to end up being ranked. Northwestern will end up being ranked. I don't know if Iowa will end up being ranked. I mean, I think probably they're going to have one win against a ranked team on their resume. And then they just beat up on Minnesota, who's not, who has a losing record. It, not a great resume. It's just not. But if they beat Ohio State, you, you get people like the doubters like me, Shut me up. Go ahead. Go beat Ohio State. And then you're in. There's no debate. I don't think they're going to beat Ohio State. And then it gets really interesting. Because if Ohio State beats Wisconsin, they're going to have a team. You know, Wisconsin is going to be ranked. You know, the rankings come out tomorrow. They're probably going to be ranked. They're They're going to get into the top four now. Because with Miami losing and Alabama losing, you're going to have... All one-loss teams, right? Oklahoma's got a, has one loss on its resume. But Oklahoma right now is probably playing the best football of any team in the country. And they went into West Virginia and... St- I, sorry, they didn't go. But my apologies, by the way. I believe last week I thought that they were at West Virginia. I said it's going to be a tough game in Morgantown. I was wrong. It was in Norman in Oklahoma. Whatever. They stomped West Virginia out. West Virginia acted like a bunch of thugs. Terrible sportsmanship, chippy, late hits, cheap shots, 
Oklahoma, to its credit, kept its cool, except for one guy who, of course, was the, the retaliator and got a raw deal and got uh, ejected from the game, one of the Oklahoma's offensive linemen. But Baker Mayfield put on a clinic again. They put up 59 points. Oklahoma's playing great. And their defense is finally starting to play pretty well, too. But they've got one loss. Bama's got one loss. Auburn has two losses. Miami has a loss now. So Wisconsin's the only undefeated team from a Power 5 conference. So they're going to be in the top four. They deserve to be in the top four from that standpoint. So if Ohio State beats them, that's going to be a really quality win on their resume. Right? And Ohio State will have also have beaten. Hold on. Wait for it. Let's go to Ohio State's schedule. All right, Indiana, no bueno. They lost to Oklahoma. They beat Army. Eh, Army is a winning record, but, I mean, come on, it's Army. UNLV, nothing. Rutgers, nothing. Maryland, nothing. Nebraska, nothing. They beat Penn State. And they beat Michigan State. So they'll have, the Penn State win is a good win because Penn State's a top 15 team. The Michigan State win is a good win because Michigan State's going to be a top 20 team. And then they will have beaten a top four team, previously undefeated Wisconsin. That's a pretty good resume. You could certainly make the argument that Ohio State could be one of the final four teams. It's going to probably come down to, I mean, look at it this way. If Georgia wins, Georgia's in. Let's just say for argument's sake, I'm right, and Georgia wins. That's one. Let's say for argument's sake, Clemson wins. That's two. Let's say for argument's sake, Oklahoma beats TCU, no given. But let's say they beat them, and there, that's three. Now, let's say Ohio State beats Wisconsin. Now your choices are a one-loss Alabama team that didn't make its championship, their, its conference championship, with not a great resume, by the way. Alabama's resume, their two best wins are LSU, who, that's a good win, okay. Didn't dominate them, but they beat them fairly soundly. LSU's probably going to move up to maybe around 20-ish. They just blew out Texas A&M on Saturday, who idiotically, by the way, fired their coach, Kevin Sumlin. Um, LSU's a nine-win team. Their other best win is Mississippi State, but Mississippi State just lost to Ole Miss. So Mississippi State, I think, was eight and four. Other than that, Alabama didn't have a really good win on its resume. So you're going to take a one-loss Alabama team that didn't even make its conference championship over a two-loss Ohio State team that won its conference championship? I don't think so. And again, it's not like Alabama's got a great resume. They didn't play anybody out of conference. I mean, yeah, they have a win over Florida State. It was the first game of the year. Florida State was bad this year. They had a losing record. Or they're going to maybe be 6-6 six and because six they play like Louisiana Monroe this week because it was a game that was uh, you know washed out because of the hurricane early in the year. And so they're going to play the game because they want to try to get themselves bowl eligible. And it's a payday for Louisiana Monroe, so they'll gladly take, you know, they'll take it on the chin and lose, you know, 40 to nothing or whatever. So I would suspect that if, the, if, the, if, the, if what I just said happens, Ohio State wins, Georgia wins, Clemson wins, Oklahoma wins, those are your final four. Now, let's get to the coaching carousel, and we'll start with the stuff at Tennessee with Greg Schiano. So, for those of you who may not have heard, reports started surfacing yesterday 
during the day that Greg Schiano, former Rutgers head coach, former Tampa Bay Buccaneers head coach, and current defensive coordinator at Ohio State, was going to be named Tennessee's next football coach. Tennessee has had about as bad a year as you could possibly have. Winless in the SEC. Uh, Butch Jones, the prior coach there, just did not work out at all. Um, now, first of all, Greg Schiano to me, at Tennessee... Oil and water. Makes no sense. Don't understand the hire at all. Northeast guy, um, you know, to me, you know, never really coached in the SEC. Doesn't make any sense to me whatsoever. That's number one. Number two, uh, he left the Rutgers program with issues. And this is the same clown who, when he was the head coach of Tampa Bay, Directed his defensive lineman to cheap shot the other team, and the other team is in victory formation and taking a knee. That's Greg Schiano to me. Now, so he's got enough stuff on his resume already for me to think that he has no business being a head coach anywhere again. Anyway, but there were accusations and or allegations made by Mike McQuarey, former assistant and player at Penn State, that when Schiano was an assistant at Penn State during the Sandusky uh you know, incidents when Sandusky was molesting young boys, let's call it what it is, that Shiano knew about it and didn't say anything. Now, that's a he said, he said scenario. Shiano has denied that. But when it started to come out that Shiano was going to be the guy, Tennessee, Tennessee fans, politicians, all went to Twitter, voiced their displeasure. There were protests on campus. There were a famous rock there on the campus that was covered with a sheet that said, you know, this is not, you know, this guy uh, knew about, you know, the rape of boys and did nothing about it. And that's harsh. I get it. Without any hard evidence, that is harsh. However, why would you hire a guy that would have any even if the slightest hint of impropriety in a situation like that, why would you hire that guy with all the other options that are out there? I mean, again, Greg Shiano's done enough to his own resume and his own legacy in my mind. He's tarnished it enough anyway without the suspicion of him maybe, of him perhaps knowing about stuff and not saying anything, for him to not be, for him to be disqualified as a head coaching candidate to begin with, and particularly at Tennessee. I mean, I could see if you are, you know, actually, you know what? I don't think he deserves another head coaching job anywhere anyway. So now there's this big raging debate where, oh, you know, now we're going to let uproars on Twitter determine who gets hired and who doesn't. And there's no hard evidence against this guy. And this is a witch hunt. Um, again, I'm sorry. I'm not shedding any tears for Greg Schiano. Greg Schiano seems like a very unlikable figure to me. And whether, you know, obviously if he did know stuff about Sandusky and was complicit in his silence, obviously that's a disqualifier. He shouldn't be on Ohio State staff if that's the case. But again, even if he wasn't, what the hell Tennessee was thinking trying to hire this guy in the first place makes no sense to me. I mean, I know what they're thinking, I guess, is that he's a big name and, you know, 
Listen, I don't know if anybody's going to want that job now. If I were Tennessee, I think it'd be pretty easy. Texas A&M just fired Kevin Sumlin, a guy who's got like a 6-10 winning percentage since he's been a head coach at A&M, a guy who was super successful at Houston. You know, Houston is a program now because of Kevin Sumlin. Right? I mean, Tom, Tom Herman, who's now at Texas, he took over for Kevin Sumlin. He kept it going. And now he's at Texas. He got a big, juicy deal because he kept the, the, the ball rolling at Houston after Kevin Sumlin. Case Keenum set all those records at Houston under Kevin Sumlin. Kevin Sumlin, when he was the head coach at AM, beat Alabama, Nick Saban. Now, granted, it was when Johnny Manziel was the quarterback, and they haven't been as successful since then. But he's still 25 and 23 in his career in the SEC. I'm sorry, if you have a winning record as a head coach in the SEC in the conference and a six sun, a six something over 600 percent winning percentage overall, uh, you don't need to be getting fired. Who the hell does Texas A&M think they are? What are you go back and hire Jackie Sherrill? Please. And Texas A&M wasn't some great job either when Kevin Sumlin got it. I think they were still, maybe it was the last year in the Big 12, or maybe it was the first year they were going into the SEC. You know, R.C. Slocum and whoever else was a coach before him, please. So if I were Tennessee, I'd make it simple. Now, look, Kevin Sumlin might not want the Tennessee job. Arkansas just became available. He might want that job more. Mississippi State job just became available because Dan Mullen went back to where he made his bones as Urban Meyer's offense coordinator of Florida, took the Florida job. Maybe Kevin Sumlin wants the, the uh, Mississippi State job instead. All three of those schools, by the way, would be smart to at least interview him and see if he wants to come there. And the other school that would be smart would be my alma mater, University of Maryland, where we had this disaster, DJ Durkin, we just got pasted 66-3 by Penn State. And has shown zero progress in two years. And I understand two quarterbacks hurt this year. I get it. You want to give a coach typically at least three years to see if he can build a program? I get it. I'm sorry. When a guy like Kevin Sumlin is available, figure it out. Start a GoFundMe to buy Durkin out for the last couple years on his contract and go see if Kevin, if Kevin Sumlin would even take the job. He might not. But boy, would I love to see him in College Park. Chip Kelly went to UCLA. Seems like a no-brainer. Made his bones at Oregon. He knows the Pac-10. He knows the West Coast. I'd be very surprised if UCLA is not a major power and a major player on the national stage within two years. Chip Kelly's a great college coach. So we'll see what happens. All right, we'll take a short break. We'll be back with the last segment in the NBA right after this. Here, our last segment on Jamal about sports. That was Duran Duran with the new moon on Monday, and now we get to the NBA. 
And look, I uh, of course the Hayden Jinx in full effect again. Got all excited about the Knicks, and of course, what do they do? They followed up with an absolute stinker uh, against the Hawks, one of the worst teams in the NBA, a team who's absolutely tanking. They're, I believe, now four and fifteen. They were three and fifteen prior to that game. Knicks had a seventeen-point lead in that game, frittered it away, playing no defense. Again, Kristaps Porzingis, lazy, not moving his feet, getting beat on the baseline constantly. Frank Nicolina, the or sorry, Nilikina, the rookie point guard, getting outplayed by a five ten white guy from a Division two school. I mean, it was awful. Just an awful, awful performance. And then, of course, they went on the road the next night in Houston and got blown out. That's fine. Even though they actually had an early 20-point lead in that game, you knew they were going to lose that game anyway. So Porzingis took the night off. Cantor missed the Hawks game, and then he also missed the Rockets game with back issues. Hopefully he'll be back in there tonight. They've got a game tonight against Portland at home. Um, look, I still like this Knicks team. Hardaway's played really well. Courtney Lee has played great. Porzingis is very frustrating to me because, you know, my dad and I watched that game the other night. My dad doesn't watch a lot of basketball anymore, but we watched that game the other night, and he was like, look, if this guy wants to be the best player in the NBA, he can. My dad has seen some basketball in his time. But there are times when he just looks disinterested, and I get it. It's only his third year. He's still pretty young. But my dad was literally like, why don't they just give him the ball every time down the floor? He's so tall, he can shoot over everybody. Um, so, and I mean, look, he, he blocks some shots here and there. Uh, his defense needs to get a lot better. Okay, a lot better. There are way too many times where he's just lackadaisical, out to lunch, gives guys wide open threes, or gives up the baseline too easily. His rebounding needs to improve. I mean, look, he's been fun to watch. I think he's got the right head. He's got a good attitude. He's got a good head on his shoulders. I like a lot of things. You know, he's so talented. That's why it's frustrating. So I'm always going to be extra hard on him because I think he really, truly has it in him. He's got the skill set, and I think he does have the mindset to be really a spectacular special player. But he's not there yet. He's got to work harder. He's got to be a little hungrier. Hardaway's been great. He's averaging 18 points, four rebounds, three and a half assists. He's played really well. Had that huge game the other night when they came back and won against uh, Toronto, where the Knicks had that crazy 30 to 2 run in the third quarter. And Hardaway finished with 38 points. He was tremendous. He's been really good. Courtney Lee's been really good. Cantor, when he's played, he's been really good. That's four out of your five. It's been really good. Now, McDermott has been very hit or miss. He's been good at home, bad on the road. Kylo Quinn, after a nice start, has really slacked off. Makes some of the most boneheaded plays you'll ever see. And sorry, the Knicks have a major issue at point guard. They have to upgrade that position if they want to try to make the playoffs this year. And I get, you know, everyone's such a, so apologetic for Nil Aquina. He's 19. He's this, he had a minus 27 in 16 minutes the other night. I mean, that's almost hard to do. And Jared Jack, while he's, again, okay, he gets some nice assist numbers here and there, he's not the answer. 
See, this is what happens. The Knicks get a big lead. The other team, all almost every team in the NBA makes a run. So when the other team is making a run, you need to have a playmaker that can stem the tide. The Knicks don't have that. And by the way, Nilakina, for supposedly a good defensive player, is lousy on pick and roll. All you have to do is run pick and roll against him, and he's done. He does not fight over screens well at all. Now, he's got long arms, and his, his on-the-ball defense is not bad when he's not getting picked, but he's got to get a lot better at that, too. So the Knicks need to upgrade point guard in the worst way. Now, you go around the rest of the league. I mean, look, the Celtics are 18-3. and They won 16 games in a row at one point. They are playing out of their minds. Pistons are off to a nice start at 12-6. and Cleveland, after everybody wanted to leave them dead and buried when they were 5-7, and this, uh, LeBron decided to wake up and say, okay, I've had enough of this. They've won seven in a row. They're 12-7. and seven. The Raptors somehow are 12-7. and seven. I have no idea how. I mean, the Knicks have played them twice. I, I haven't come away impressed by them at all. I mean, yes, good backcourt with Lowry and DeRozan. We talked about it a lot last year. The rest of that team is not very good. Sixers have been interesting, 11-7. and seven. And here's the interesting thing about the NBA right now is you've got guys like Porzingis at 7-3. You've got Ben Simmons at 6-11. You've got uh, the Greek freak uh, Giannis Antetokounmpo in Milwaukee, 6-11. You've got um, uh, Jerkic, the center in Denver, who's 7 feet tall. You've got these guys, I mean, these guys all can shoot from three. Well, not Simmons, but the other guys can. Well, actually, Antetokounmpo can't either. But the point is you've got guys that are were traditionally centers by height or at least power forwards none of them play that position really i mean Jurkic plays center porzingis plays power forward but he's not really a power forward simmons is playing point guard for philadelphia at 6 10 6 11 anton Takupo plays basically like a point forward ish for milwaukee it's a whole new game the nba whole new game So, look, the Knicks are 10 and 9. They need to. I, I, if I'm going to take the Knicks seriously, they've got a home game. They get, their next three games are all at home. Home tonight against Portland. Now, Portland's going to give them a lot of trouble because Portland's got a really good backcourt with Lillard and McCollum. And the Knicks' backcourt is not very good. I mean, Lee and/or Hardaway, whoever is the two guard defensively, is okay. Again, Knicks have issues at point guard, both offensively and defensively. So that's going to be a big challenge for them. But still a game they should get, in my opinion. Then they got the Heat at home on Wednesday, another game they should win. And then they play Saturday at home against, uh, who is it? Another team that they should win. Three home games, all winnable games. Win all three, and I'll think the Knicks are serious contender. Look, and I get it. It's a long season, 82 games. I'm not going to write them off. I mean, if they go 2-1, and one, it's not the end of the world. Can't go 1-2, and two, certainly can't go 0-3. Oh All right, that's going to do it for tonight's show. As always, thanks for listening. Check me out on iTunes. Check me out on Twitter, at JamalAboutSportNoS, also on Facebook. Thanks for listening, as always. We'll be back next week with another show, and until then, peace out.